0: Hi, this is Keith Radke, host of A Good Life Radio. Today's podcast first aired in multiple parts on local radio in Salt Lake, Utah, and I'm glad to share it with you in its entirety on this podcast. For more information about the show as well as River Community Church, which produced this conversation, visit agoodliferadio.com and let us know you enjoyed the show. God bless you. Now let's join today's conversation. Welcome to this week's edition of Good Life Radio. This is Keith, and I'm so glad that you're taking a few minutes out of your day to spend time with me. And not just to spend time with me, but with my friend Jason Chatham of Courageous Church here in uh, Salt Lake, Utah. Uh, Jason is a musician, worship leader pastor, church planter, and pastor of Courageous Church, which you can check them out at courageouschurch.com. He's married to Candace. They have three wonderful children. And uh, But more than that, Jason is my friend and my brother in Christ. So Jason, it is so good to have you today here at A Good Life Radio.
1: Keith, it's great to be with you, man. And I love you. I love your family. I love your church. Thanks for having me on the program today.
0: Well, thanks for being here. Well, here at A Good Life Radio, what we want to do is encourage and inspire people um, to really pursue God's purpose for all of us to enjoy a good life um, in His family, in His kingdom, a life filled with faith, hope, and love through Jesus Christ. I want to start there. I want to start with your personal journey as a follower of Christ. How did it begin for you? What were kind of the the key markers, uh, milestones for you coming to faith in Christ, and what have you been learning as a follower of Jesus?
1: What a great question, and probably a loaded one, because uh, I've been following Jesus for close to 34 years now. Wow. And so my journey for me— And you're only
0: 32. Yeah, yeah,
1: right. (laughs) You're being too kind. Um, You know, my journey started as a child, growing up in a family— Uh, That was more atheist and and more agnostic than it was uh, committed to any particular stream or, or, you know, worldview. And uh, my parents got saved when I was about five years old. My mom got invited to a Bible study at a little Presbyterian church in Southern California, which is actually where I grew up, San Diego. Mm Mm-hmm. Beautiful and uh, beautiful. Would love to be there right now. Yeah. Wouldn't mind a trip to the beach right now. Yes. Especially with the snow coming down. But yeah, she got invited and God just really grabbed a hold of her heart. She came home, started working on my dad. Took him a little longer. But about six months later, he went. God grabbed a hold of his heart. We're talking massive life change. Both wow. of them grew up in the party scene of the late 60s, early 70s. So we're talking drugs, we're talking partying swinging, all of that. And, uh, God just really wrecked them, really changed their life. And so I, I was present for that transformation. I don't remember a whole lot before, but I remember a whole lot after. Wow. And I remember one particular night, my mom was tucking me in for bed and she said, Jason, you know, I've been talking to you about Jesus, you know, I've been trying to explain the gospel and I've been trying to, you know, share what God's been doing in my heart and life, but I think he might want to do that in yours. And is that something you'd be open to? And I said, yeah, why not? You know, and of course I was a little guy. right? So you only understand what you understand at that point. But that became the gateway. That became kind of the entry way for me. And I said yes to Jesus, and she led me through the sinner's prayer. And then shortly thereafter, we started going to church. We went to a little Baptist church. One of my earliest memories is seeing my dad being baptized there in La Jolla, California. And just seeing the, uh, the change in his life, you know, from, from being addicted to alcohol and cigarettes to, to literally 180 degree turn wow. from all that, put it down, complete freedom. And, uh, even to this day, just walking in freedom. And it's just amazing
0: to see that. And at such a young age, you recognize that it was different.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. My, my dad tells a story about how, when I was little, I used to run over to the ashtray and pick up the cigarettes and start smoking them like, or pretending like I was. Right. And so he said, you know, that was kind of the last straw, you know, from, from doing that to seeing that change, not just in his outward behavior, but really in what was going on in his heart and his life. And my mom as well, you know, and seeing that happen for them, that became a real present factor in our home. You know, the, the joy, the peace, the love, you know, the things that you can recognize, hmm. that every human being can recognize as real, were real for me. Wow. So that became the start of a pretty amazing and crazy adventure in following Jesus. We ended up at a, a Baptist church for a while. Then we were at a Presbyterian church for a little while. Ended up at a gospel church. I mean, we've, we've been to a lot of churches. Every flavor of church. We got yeah. to experience it all. Charismatic Pentecostal mainline, which there is a
0: difference in charismatic and Pentecostal. <laughs> there is, know that.
1: yeah, there is, and uh, you know, but I, you know, you just you just say yes to Jesus, and he's going to take you somewhere, That's you right. know, That's and right. you're going to experience a lot. So it was fun, and then it, by the time I got to high school, you know, I was leading worship at a Lutheran church and uh, experiencing some of that, and had friends that were big mentors to me mm-hmm. in the faith as as well as musically. So God's kind of always used both of those things yeah. as sort of a way to get me into the, the fold.
0: When you look at your teenage years in particular, probably like high school and transitioning into adulthood, yeah, like w- was there any sort of like a critical, uh, I don't know, crossroads or decision point for you where, you know, you were a Christian, you you knew who you were in Jesus, you were in a Christian home, but maybe there was something that happened or, or, or some sort of a realization that said, you know what, this, I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this because, you know, this is what I'm, i God has called me to and what I'm made for.
1: Yeah. You know, even as a young guy, I've always kind of recognized and been very sensitive toward what I could sort of discern and see and sense and feel God doing. Mm-hmm. And from the time I was probably about 12 or 13, you know, I was thrust into environments where I had friends who didn't know Jesus, who weren't walking with God, and you could see the fruit of what was happening in their life with their family. And it was night and day. Mm. Like, my friends' parents who weren't following Jesus, who weren't believers or Christians, you could see their lives were falling apart. And meanwhile, my parents were doing great. Our family was doing great. I mean, not to oversell the thing, but it was like the contrast was so strong and so stark that it, it really... For me, there was there was never any doubt in my mind that there there would be any alternative worth pursuing, right It was like I'm all in and I'm all in from day one. yeah now obviously you grow in your understanding, sure. you grow in your knowledge of the Lord, you grow in your understanding of the word, and you, you know you grow in your relationship for sure. but um I think by by the time I was about twelve or thirteen, I could see the contrast enough to know that there was, there was really only one way for me. Yeah. So I know some people that, you know, that's, that's not their story, but for me it was. And I think part of it too, you know, the Bible talks about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Yes. And when you've tasted the real thing, you just never are really satisfied again with the Mm. counterfeit, with the substitute. So for me, because I was exposed to the real thing at such a young age, I never felt like there was a moment where I didn't own my faith. I just felt like I just grew stronger and stronger in it. Now, obviously you go through times where that's tested and tried and you go through challenges and stuff, but you know, when they train people to uh, work with counterfeit money, they don't train them on the, on the fake, right. they train them on the real thing. Right. And it, and the real thing helps them to spot a fake. And as a young man, I was really raised on the real thing. And so by the time all these other, you know, alternative ideas and worldviews and right. things were presented you know even throughout college and stuff I was like man I've already had the real thing so yeah. I can see all of this for what it is
0: in your home what was maybe that one or two things that your parents did that really helped you see that your faith was an everyday thing that this sense of of, of just growing and maturing as a follower of Christ was what you were supposed to do just be, because of what your parents imparted to you
1: yeah well you know my my dad was a man of integrity is a man of integrity and great character. So for, for them, the character of Christ was primary, you know, and so they they demonstrated that, they modeled that to me at such a young age. So by the time, you know, I got into high school or, you know, into those years where you're becoming a young man, you're still a kid, right? You know, you're trying to figure out life around you, all that. You know, I, I could see in, in my parents' uh, honor and I could see in them, disciplines that they had developed through the years, through prayer, through Bible study, through starting the day off with the Lord. That, those things were really big for me. You know, my dad would take me on the job site. He was a contractor. So sometimes we'd leave the house at 435. He'd take me with him. And he'd throw on some worship music. And wow. back then it was cassette tapes. Yep. You know, I'm a kid of the 80s.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> That's where we have a lot in common there. So it
1: was, it was cassettes and, and the radio. But there really wasn't a lot of Christian radio back then or right. anything like that. There definitely wasn't any satellite radio or Spotify or YouTube. You know, he'd throw on a cassette and we'd start every day worshiping and praying. Wow. And I think that really set a tone for yeah, me. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that was called a devotional but that's really what was
0: going on. Right. And and now your life is one, not just as a pastor, but also as a musician and a worship leader where worship is is the heartbeat of your life. I mean, that's an yeah. area where we share a lot in common. Just We're pastors, and but we're also worship leaders. We love yeah. music. And, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I, I grew up on Amy Grant and Petra and Stephen Curtis Chapman. Oh yeah. And Russ Taff and Keith Green, you know, we now had, we're talking. Had a couple of leftover records and some cassettes. I even found some cassettes in a box when I was cleaning out the garage a couple of months ago. Oh, wow! And I had kids like, "What is that, Dad? What is I'm that? Like, Why don't we have a cassette <laughs> player so we can listen to this?" Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Well, I'm here talking on a good life radio with my friend Jason Chatham. Chatham, not Jason Statham. Um, you have more hair than he does, um, but he is a pastor of Courageous Church. <laughs> you can. Find out more about them at CourageousChurch.com. Uh, you know, as, as we talk about a good life, it does begin with knowing the God who made you, the God who has a purpose for your life. And no matter where you come from, no matter what your story is and what you think is significant or insignificant, uh, you and I can experience a good life, a significant life, when we completely surrender and turn over everything to God who loves us so much more than we can ever imagine. And just watch what he's going to do as he transforms your life and makes you uh, more and more of the person that he's made for you to be. So I'm talking today with my good friend, Jason Chatham of Courageous Church. Check him out, courageouschurch.com. And uh, you've been sharing with us about your story of your parents coming to faith yeah. when you were a young boy and just. Seeing that transformation and growing up in a home that became uh, a place of devotion to God, um, you, you were talking about just getting up super early in the morning with your dad and him popping yeah. in the tape, the worship tape, and and you you discovered a devotional life. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how that devotional life grew in you as you watched it modeled in your dad. Like how how did God use? that foundation to lead you into the different areas of your life that would follow like worship and ministry and and pastoring?
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of people approach devotions like they're a duty or an obligation. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was never that. It was always an invitation to experience something amazing, something life-giving. So for me as a young man, and even now, I, I look forward to that time I look forward to being able to pray. I look forward to being able to worship. I look forward to those things because I saw in them and I experienced in them the life of God. And that's really what it is. You know, Christ invites us into a relationship where we get to experience life with him. You know, we move beyond just hearing about him. We move beyond just, you know, understanding the stories of the Bible. And we enter into a living relationship where, you know, God's speaking to your heart. He's showing you things, right? you know, you're, you're bringing your, you know, your stuff to him and he's helping you deal with it. And for me, that became so ingrained as a young person in just my rhythm and my routine, but it never became routine. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Like it wasn't something like, oh, I got to have my devotion. It was like, this is just what we do. Right. So I, I didn't know, like I said, I, I didn't know that it was called a devotion. I just was like, this is just what you, this is just life with God. Right. You know? it's life with my dad, it's life with my heavenly father, it's life with, you know, with Jesus. So for me, it was, it was more organic. And then later, you know, people began to talk to me about what that could look like mm-hmm. from more of a structural point of view. You know, how do you spend your time? How do you uh, create margin, you know, to do these things. But for me, it was just, it was, it was an exciting moment to spend time with God and to start your day off right. And That's where I think, you know, the invitation is today, even, you know, for believers everywhere, regardless of where you're at, regardless of what you're going through, is just be able to spend time with God. So for me, that really led to a greater appreciation of worship. It it led to a greater appreciation of prayer. And those things became real anchor points for my life. Mm -hmm. Obviously, as a kid growing up in the 80s, you know, you're exposed to some great music. Right. You know, we could sit here all day talking about some pretty epic albums that were released. They called them records back then.
0: And they were recorded without any digital
1: yeah, effects. That's right. Yeah, zero digital. M- maybe synthesizers were just starting to come out, yeah. but those were still huge. They took up rooms. People
0: played in studios together.
1: But, yeah, people making people music. People made music. Yes, That's
0: exactly. <laughs> what I call it. <laughs> people music. People Love music. It. So, yeah,
1: you know, like, music was great, but the church – was just sort of ex- was just sort of, sort of um, realizing that, right? You know, uh, for a lot of people before that time frame, you know, to play the guitar in church was seen as like a, a bad thing. You know, uh, there wasn't a lot of openness to drums and live music and rock and all these influences. But uh, the churches I went to were super open to it, and so I had people in my life as a young person who were pouring into me, worship leaders back then who were into like Petra and these guys mm-hmm. you already mentioned, you know, that were a huge influence on my life. Yeah. And even to this day, you know, I can remember moments growing up as a kid, my youth pastor slash children's pastor had this pink electric guitar and he loved all the, the hair metal bands right. of the 80s and and of course, you know, <laughs> Striper, Striper and Petra and all these guys were white were huge because they were taking risks, right? They were right. doing stuff that, you know, had traditionally been looked down upon.
0: They were alternative before they called it all. <laughs> That's
1: right. So that influenced me heavily. Like what? Yeah, I can play guitar and do that in church. And, you know, it was exciting. Yeah. So that kind of opened the door. And then through years of kind of pursuing that learning how to, you know, develop my craft and all that. I began to play music and that sort of led to opportunities to, you know, do music for a Bible study, you know, for the youth group, for all those kind of things.
0: You, you said um, earlier in our conversation about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And I just pulled it up here in Psalm 34, 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Yeah. It, it I'm thinking about devotions, this devotional life that we're talking about. I, I don't remember when they started calling it devotions, right? I, I didn't grow up with devotions as being exactly. in our language until I think I was an adult. And but but this phrase here, "Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him," you know. You often hear about the devotional life as being like the hiding place or the secret place with yeah, the Lord. Absolutely. Um, just, just talk a little bit, maybe to someone who right now they don't know where to start with this thing called devotions, like how do I do that? And and just what does it look like? What does it really look like to, to take refuge in the Lord in, in that personal daily uh, routine?
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I think it begins with you setting aside a space that's intentional and a time that's intentional to spend time with God. Mm-hmm. It's saying this is where I'm going to spend time with the Lord. This is how I'm going to spend time with the Lord. And uh, this is when I'm going to spend time with the Lord. And I know that we, um, as Americans, as Westerners, however you want to look at it, we tend to be pretty busy, mm-hmm. right? We tend to really work ourselves to the bone. It's part of our ethic. It's, it can be a great thing, but it, it also can be a, a real detriment if we're not careful. And I found that if you don't schedule time with God, if you don't have a place or a space or a time to do that, you, you're just not going to, yeah, right? Because life's just going to pull on you. If you're a parent like we are, kids are going to pull on us, right. You know, responsibilities to people that we work with or our friends or our family, you know, all these outside, you know, external influences and forces are going to pull on us. So my advice would be start small, you know, start with, with a small goal of reading a chapter a day, Yeah, you know, or even a Psalm or a proverb a day, get in your Bible and give yourself, you know, 10 to 15 minutes to do that. And then take another five minutes to pray and just tell God what's on your heart, you know, in a, in a place that's not full of distractions and kids running around and mm-hmm. all that. When I was a kid, they called it like getting in your prayer closet. Yeah, you know? exactly. You remember, remember that? I do. So for me, you know, it's having a prayer closet. It's, it's having a place. For me, I do a lot of traveling. I'm, a, I'm in my truck a whole lot. And I'm driving all over the place. That's kind of my mobile office. Yeah. So I pray a lot in my truck. I spend time with god listening to you know the bible on audio. They've got all sorts of different technology now where you can literally be synced up to scripture wherever you are, which is pretty cool. No excuses. Yeah, you got your phone, you got your bluetooth, you got Spotify. I mean, Morgan Freeman will read you the bible wow. if you want him to. <laughs> 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 so, there's really no excuse to not have a place to do it. And for some people they need they need that time in the morning for some people that they're better off at night. Yeah. You know, I tend to do better in the morning, but there's times and seasons in my life where the night is actually a better kind of place for me to, to spend time with God. So it's just being intentional, you know, saying, I'm going to put this on the calendar. I'm going to carve this out for,
0: yeah. And I think it's important too, for, for that step to be, um, you know, the easy step, so to speak, like just to do it. Yeah. Like let, let the rhythm of it unfold. Let the, the methods, you know, if you're if you're a morning person, do it in the morning. If you're not a morning person, yeah. it's okay. God's not looking at you fung- funny because you don't right. get up at five thirty in the morning. I mean, I hear, hear about people like, yeah, you know, I get up at four 30 every morning. <laughs>
1: I can't do that. Get
0: into my devotions. <laughs> and I'm like four thirty in the morning. Are you serious? Like when I wake up at four thirty, I feel like there's something wrong with me. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, right. Like I, I need, I need to get to at least six o'clock, but, um, I was listening there was a prayer group the other day and, and this one guy was just kind of, he wasn't like getting down on himself, but he was just kind of like, you know, I, I really need to, you know, just, I need to get up in the morning and I do this. But you know what I do, what I like to do is I like to sit there with my cup of coffee and just think about the day. And I like to, you know, think about what God is doing. I don't necessarily open up my Bible first. And one of the other guys said, I do the same thing. And it's amazing how God speaks to me when i am just, yeah nothing's, there's no noise. It's just me and a cup of coffee in the silence. And just saying, God, I'm here, I'm at your feet, I'm listening, I'm open, speak to me. And and I, I think that that is the key to the refuge, that is the key to the secret, yeah, place, the hiding it. place, the prayer closet, is to be in a place where you know you're ready to hear from the Lord, and you're ready to, to pour out your heart in worship that's right. to him.
1: Yeah, you know, and it doesn't have to be burdensome. Right. You know, I always tell people, it's a gift. You know, like we know, we know the gifts of God, like grace and these things we talk about are gifts, you know, and I think your devotional life is a gift to you. Mm -hmm. Your prayer life is a gift to you. You know, your ability to step into a moment where you can share what's on your heart with God and hear from him through his word or through worship is amazing. Yeah. And so I've never really found a lot of joy or success in doing that when I had to but I have when I've wanted to, mm. you know? And so for some people, yeah, they're morning people Yeah. and my wife's not a morning person. I can be a morning person, but I do better in the late evening Yeah. when the kids are in bed and I'm alone with my thoughts and I can open up the Bible and I can spend time. I understand why, I'm, you know, people are encouraged to do it in the morning because your day kind of gets away with you, yeah. gets away from you. And then by the time you get to the end of the day, you're tired, right? You right, want to go to sleep. Right. I'm a night person, so that doesn't happen with me. My mind starts to come alive about 9 p.m., Right, and it takes a while to shut down. So between 10 and 12 at night is a great time for me to spend time with the Lord, and maybe that'll encourage somebody out there who maybe feels the pressure of, I can't get up at 4.30, right? Who would want to get up at 4.30 anyways, right? Right, right.
0: Yeah. I love that you said that, Jason, that our time with God is a gift. It's a gift from Him to us. So I'm here at a good life radio. This is Keith with my good friend, Jason Chatham of Courageous Church, courageouschurch.com. You should check it out. If you live in the Salt Lake area, you should go and spend a little bit of time worshiping with a Courageous Church family. Um, I was just out there a couple of months ago. Yeah. now. December. Time sure flies when you're having fun. Or as one frog said to the other, time's fun when you're having (laughs) flies. Um Yeah, there's that, that's it. That was, that really was bad. But anyway, (laughs) that's called a dad joke. It is a dad joke and I love it. So you are a musician and a worship leader, but in the last, um, what, two years now that you've been in Utah, you know, we're coming up almost on three, believe it or not. That's crazy. Yeah. You you have been a church planter. Um, which if you're wondering, if you're listening, you're like, what is a church planter? Just think about it like a farmer, right? We're, we're scattering seed. We're planting the gospel. In 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 the soil of hearts, so that that's what a church planter is. Um, you you've had a lot of different experiences in the ministry, um, that brought you to this place of planting a church. When when you got started serving the Lord as a teenager, leading yeah. worship here and there, and as your journey progressed, did you ever see yourself planting a church, starting a church from scratch?
1: So. My answer would be yes, only because we had people that did that when I was a kid Hmm. in our house. We had church planters come from Canada and New Zealand and Africa and all over that had come to the States or even people that grew up here in the States that were sent out to plant churches, to start churches. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about starting churches. And uh, a lot of those began in our living room. So as a young person, once again, it's kind of one of those experiences where you're exposed to something, you see it, you bump up against it. Right. It shapes you. It, it does. shapes the way you view the world. It shapes the way you view the church. It shapes the way you view God. So for me, seeing that, experiencing that, tasting that, uh, really, you know, changed my life and it left a real indelible impression upon my heart. So I would I would call it the imprint of God on my life mm-hmm. from the time I was young was set by people that were church planners and evangelists and traveling missionaries and musicians. You know, I had this guy from Nashville come and live with us for a year. He was a missionary from Nashville and he played the guitar and taught me how to play guitar. And it was amazing. So all these kinds of experiences because of people that were coming and going, my parents had kind of an open door policy. So regardless of where you were, if you had a need, if you needed help, you didn't have anywhere to go. You maybe just wanted a great meal my home was always open to that. Wow. So my parents cultivated and fostered that. So as a result, we had people, particularly my friends, that would come over, and we just ministered to them, you know? We just let God just love on them. And we had people that came through that were part of different, you know, seminaries and Bible colleges and churches and, you know, multi-denominations, people from all over the world. So many of them were committed to this idea of planting churches. Right. Right. So I experienced that, you know, from about 13 onward, you know, for a good season, about four or five years of my life, that was happening
0: a lot. Just a revolving door.
1: Yeah. A revolving door is a great way to look at it. And so that changed me. That definitely influenced me, you know, and then along the way, I I call it, God leaves breadcrumbs for you. Yeah. You know, following the breadcrumbs. It's like moments where God does certain things and you remember that and Mm -hmm. it just, Stays with you the rest right. of your life, and I think that was a big part of that. And then, of course, just growing up in the church and being exposed to so many different kinds of churches. You yeah. know, my, because my parents moved a lot when I was a kid. I know you, you moved around yeah, a lot too. Yeah. So, because my family moved a bunch, I got to experience a lot of different kinds of churches. You know, a lot of different styles. We we'd call them streams. Yeah, you know, of Christianity, and so that too also really influenced me. But I got to see the way church planning impacted people and how it helped people and how it reached a lot of people and created communities for people and changed lives. And so I think that's just sort of got stuck in my subconscious that that might be something I might want to do when I get older.
0: In your twenties, you got involved with a Christian band and you toured the world.
1: Yes. Actually that was late teens. I was 18, 19, 20 years old. And I got invited to be a part of something like that when I was real young and obviously didn't know what I was doing. I was super green. I didn't play the guitar as well as I do now, but somebody looked at me and said, I'm gonna take a chance on that guy. And why don't you come overseas and do this with us? And it was a lot of fun and it was crazy. You know, we were in a little blue van and we toured all over New Zealand and the United States and we went to Europe and Africa and all these places. And it was incredible and i would say that's kind of how god got my foot in the door of of what we would call ministry yeah but that was for about a year and a half you know and then i kind of sensed that god was moving me back toward the local church what we mm-hmm. call the local church getting involved you know and kind of planting roots and in your serving community. people within my community that's right
0: yeah so so you okay you decided that this opportunity to tour the world in a rock band, <laughs> yeah, preaching the gospel, of course, yeah. You decided it was good, but that's not what God called you to. You, you know, know
1: what's really funny about that? Like, like, how did how did how did you come to that yeah.
0: realization? I mean, I'm just putting myself in the shoes of a 20 year old kid. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! It's the yeah. dream. You know, it was the
1: dream, and it felt like a dream. You know, being the California kid is what everyone would call me, right? You know, people kind of flock to you as well. Sure, you got this magical accent. It sounds different than all the rest of the New Zealanders in the band. You know, they call them Kiwis. So I wasn't a Kiwi. I was the California kid. And so, yeah, people would flock to you and you, you feel that sense of, wow, this is really cool. Like this is, this is awesome. But along the way, you know, uh, the Lord was ordering my steps, you know, as he says he will. And there were people in the band, particularly the lead singer, who would pull me aside and say, Jason, you know what, you, you were kind of made for more than just touring, wow. playing the guitar. Like I really see, you know, pastoral ministry in your life. I see you doing a lot of the other things. So I, I, I didn't know if that was a compliment or if he was just telling me like, I wasn't very good, but the truth is, is I think he kind of saw in me as a younger yeah. guy. Cause he was, he was 30. I was 18 and he'd done a lot of ministry hmm kind of all over the world. His parents were church planners. They worked with churches in India and they planted churches all throughout New Zealand, big church planning movement. So he knew what he was looking at. So he he kind of knew he was like, yeah, there's, there's something else that God's doing here than just you playing the guitar and being a rock, you know, dude. So I think people like that churches we went to, you know, we'd go out with, with pastors after a concert and they'd be like, man, you should, you know, give your testimony or you should, you know, come preach to our youth, right? Or hey, I'm gonna take you to this high school and you can, you know, give your testimony to thousands of teenagers who don't know who you are. Sure, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> but I did it, yeah. And it kind of built confidence. And then afterwards, people would pull me aside and be like, "Hey, you know, you've ever thought about you know being a preacher, or stepping into that?" I was like, "Not really. I didn't really want to be that. You yeah, know, yeah. I grew up with that, but that wasn't really what I wanted for myself. But I think that was." along the lines of what the Lord was calling me into. Yeah.
0: And I think as we continue our conversation, I want to talk a little bit more about identifying that calling. But one thing that you brought up a few times, you know, between the lead singer of the band you were in to all these other people in your life, like how important it is for us when we recognize something in someone that we say something. Yeah. Because we're all, I, I think we can all share this idea. For the most part, we're going to spend the first, you know, 20 to 30 years of our life figuring what on earth am I here for? Like, that's right. I don't, I don't even know what I'm going to do. And it is invaluable to have people in your life who care enough to see a bigger picture. I mean, here's a guy who leads a band who could have just kept you in the band. Totally. Right? I mean, and, and built, you know, built a great rock band that way, but instead it seemed like he had a loose grip and he saw something in you, these pastors that you would meet with people. Hey, have you thought about this? Yes. Have you thought about this? And I used to think, well, stop, stop, putting ideas in my head, Start, <laughs> stop with this power of suggestion right. type stuff. But it really isn't that it, it, it's a, it's a willingness to step out and encourage something that you see that could go somewhere. Uh, um, how, how does that look uh, yeah. on a daily basis? Like how, how, how we, how do we do that confidently without kind of overstepping our bounds? Well,
1: you know, we need people in our life that know us and know us. What do I mean by that? No, what do you mean by that? K N O W people that know us, right? Okay, and people that n o us, people that say no, I don't think you should be going down that path, right? So you need people that can be intimate with you, that can that you can open up to, be vulnerable with, that you can be honest around, right? Most of the time, we do that with our friends and our peers, but the problem is our peers aren't always the best advice givers, yeah, because they're not any further along than we are. So we need people that are a little further down the road, and I think that's where. Having a faith community around you, that's, you know, why it's great and important to jump into a church. It's why it's great to have leaders and pastors and people speaking in your life. Because the truth is they're just further down the road, you know? That's right. And they've experienced things that you haven't and they have perspective that you don't. So I think that's the most important way. And obviously if you don't have great parents, that's you know, that's okay. But there are a lot of great people out there right. that would love to pour into you or help you with your purpose or your calling. And we all have one. You know, that's the great part. None of us are any more or less called. We all have a calling and we all have a purpose. So having people in your life that can help point that out, help shape that, speak into it's great.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the value of the local church too. And and we're going to talk more about that is that is a place, a community where with enough time and the building of trust, there are going to be people who are going to be able to speak into your life in such a way that's not manipulative. It's not trying to force an outcome That's right. it's because of love it's because of the love that God gives to us it's the community that we're to be a part of that we can grow and build one another up so we can all fulfill um, the purpose that God has called us to fulfill Jason um, is the pastor of Courageous Church go visit him at CourageousChurch.com also, uh, shameless plug I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it <laughs> look up Jason's music he's on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, all the places Jason Chatham
1: that's right, C-H-A-T-H-A-M For those of you that are listening.
0: All right, so here with my friend Jason Chatham, pastor of Courageous Church. CourageousChurch.com is our website. Um, We've been talking just about your journey of finding your calling to be a pastor. Kind of like got to where you are now. You're a church planter, pastor. You've been in Utah for um, almost three years now with this purpose. But that's not where it started for you per se. You were in a right. band, you had other things, other dreams and goals. But in your in your upbringing, God brought people into your home, missionaries, church planters, traveling musicians, people who were kingdom minded, right? They they saw right. they saw their life as more than just living for themselves. They saw their life as as a part of God's kingdom work, God's uh, kingdom purpose. When when you transitioned out of traveling the world, every kid's dream, with yeah. a rock band, and and begin to pursue ministry, how did you navigate, like, just figuring it out? I mean, I, I think maybe God gave you a particular impression and direction. He was using people in your life as mentors, just kind of say, "Hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that?" But where, where was, where, how was God leading you? How did God lead you to where you are now, where you know you are fulfilling His purpose? for your life as a pastor and specifically one starting a young church, a new church here in Utah?
1: Well, one of the interesting things that happened while we were touring, uh, we ended up at a church and we were doing a concert there. And when I came off the road from touring, I went back to that church and God just sort of helped me develop a relationship with one of the youth pastors there. And he was one of those guys that recognized that there was something kind of on my life that He could maybe encourage and help foster. He was a few years ahead of me as well. So, you know, I got real plugged in to my local church, and I started to allow the pastors and the leadership there to really begin to speak into my life and help me shape. Because the truth was, you know, it took years to kind of figure out after I came off the road, even if that was something I wanted to do, if pastoral Mm -hmm. ministry or church plan was even something for me. And uh, so it was great to have those guys come alongside me at that time, but, you know, I, I had to tr- change my major three or four times. You know, I started off as a business major. Then I was a music major. And then finally, you know, I transferred to a school where I was able to do a theological degree. And, you know, even then, you know, y- y- you're still wrestling with the tension of, okay, is this really the right path or, you know, right. is this something I should be doing? And that's where you have to kind of just learn to walk by faith a little bit, you know? Mm. I mean, the truth is, like, none of us in our 20s really know what we're doing. No, not at all. But that's such a great time and a great season in your life to explore in a healthy way, things and options and opportunities. And, and so I had people in my life that were encouraging me to do that, you know? And so part of this is just learning to walk by faith where you don't, you know, really know what's going to happen if it's going to turn out. But like I said, you're following the breadcrumbs, you know, there's, there's things that God's kind of leading you into that. You don't know God's leading you into because the truth is he loves us so much. He loves us more than we think he does. Hmm. And he wants what's best for us more than we recognize and realize. Right. So part of it is just walking by faith, and then and then also as you're growing, as you're developing, as you're you're kind of sensing and feeling like, yeah, I could do this. You know, it's I, I call I tell people you know follow your favorite the things that you love to do, the things that you're passionate about, the things that make you come alive. Those are all good indicators that you're on the right path, right? You know, things that you have to have to do, things that you're you know, not looking forward to those things can sometimes be a great indicator that maybe you should try something different.
0: Yeah. I was talking to my kids yesterday at the dinner table. I'm sure you've had these days too, as a worship leader and being involved with bands, like there is a difference between those who show up and go through the motions yeah, and those who are passionate. Like you can tell they're singing all the time. They're yeah. playing all the time. They're learning how to get better. They're learning how to do it more. They, they spend money to be a better musician or singer, but really it doesn't cost them a thing That's because right because they love it. And, yeah. and I, I think we overlook that aspect. And I'm so thankful that you're bringing that up, that we will overlook the aspect of what do you love in life? What really lights you up to where it doesn't matter how much time it takes, how much energy it takes, how much money you spend, what other things you miss you love this so much. And God can use that to give you a sense of, of how you can multiply his kingdom in other people's lives, whether it's through music, maybe, maybe you love just to make food. So you're going to find yourself in a context where you're making and serving food to people who need it. Um, you know, so don't, don't overlook those things that maybe it's just a hobby too. I mean, there's a lot of people who do hobbies and that, and that's, that's an area where God can can help you thrive in ministry. It's not just you That's know right. to be a paid staff member at a church or yeah. you know, to be the leader of a ministry, but to really thrive in what you were created for, and and to make a difference in people's lives for the glory of God. Um, you're you're married to Candice. You have three children. Um, tell us just a little bit how you met her and. And and how you got on the same page about what you do in ministry.
1: <laughs> so interestingly enough, my wife grew up here in Utah, and she was what we call a pastor's kid. So her parents P-K. came. That's right. PK. For those of you that don't know what that is, pastor's kid. Uh, it is a special calling in life to be a pastor's kid, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah, I feel sorry
0: for my kids, but <laughs> they're all extra called and extra
1: gifted. That's it. So her parents moved from Colorado to Utah to plant churches to start churches out here and did that for many years. And then one day they felt like they needed to move on and they did that and they came to California and planted a church in California. And so I met her in Southern California at the time we were living in Orange County. Her sister had been coming to our youth ministry at the church that I was involved in, the church I was leading worship at. And the sister had been trying to you know, connect us for years. It never happened the first year or two, but then it did. And she got involved at the youth ministry that we were part of at the church we were part of. And really from there, we just began to fall in love and become more serious about one another. She was actually the one who kind of encouraged me along the way too, when I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, um, so that was, that was great. And she's incredibly gifted, incredibly talented, Loves the Lord, very passionate about the church, passionate about a lot of the things that I was passionate about. So we hit it off real easily.
0: And and what season of life? I mean, how old were you when you guys got married and and started to pursue ministry together um, as a couple?
1: Yeah, so we got married when I was twenty five, and we our first kind of vocational job in ministry was as the children's pastors at our church
0: that I didn't know that that's yeah. how my wife and I started too. really right? after like a week after we got yeah. married I was the newly inducted children's pastor yeah
1: they're like you're married now now you can minister to kids it's Like, wait,
0: I, I don't have any kids I don't even know if I like yeah.
1: kids I, I literally I didn't have any kids and we had to stand before the church and the pastor was like, well, they don't have any kids, but they've got a dog. You know, it's like, I don't know if that's helping me here, <laughs> pal. a
0: decent qualification for children's <laughs> ministry.
1: Yeah, he can take care of a puppy. So trust them with your children. There you go. But it was a great opportunity for us to grow and learn together. We both were able to do that together, which was really awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you, you started to have a family, your kids are involved and we've seen you and the same has been for us. Like when you're a pastor, it's a pastor's family. It It's, it's all in for everybody. Yeah. All everybody's on in deck for, yeah. for whatever you do. And your kids grow up in the second row of church and you know, they, they are, sometimes <laughs> they are the children's ministry. Oh, and, totally. And, uh, and, you know, now I've got teenagers. So we've got kids who are, you know, the welcome team and they're the, <laughs> the sound and, and, uh, and presentation team. Um, so somebody is looking for their sense of calling in the ministry and they don't know where to start. Maybe they're just not—they're not involved, but they feel the tug of God to get involved in kingdom-focused ministry, kingdom-focused work. How would you encourage them um, to take that next step? I, I love how you put it. All the thinking, all the planning—at some point, you just got to take a step of faith. Yeah. What, what What can that look like for people, just on a very practical level?
1: Well, I always encourage people to start where they're at. So start with your local church. Start serving somewhere. You know, maybe it's a greeters team or maybe it's helping in the kids' ministry or doing setup or tear down or serving people coffee. Just start somewhere. Yeah. Because it's easier to actually steer a moving car than it is a parked one. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, they're parked and they're like, God, I'm waiting. And God's saying, no, I'm waiting for you to move. And then we'll kind of move this thing in the direction it needs to go. So start somewhere, start serving somebody besides yourself, you know, serve your church, serve your community. And I believe that in that God will begin to shape and help you better understand your gifts and your passions and your calling. But that comes through trial, you know, and some error, you know, you'll make some mistakes along the way. I know I've made a ton. So don't be discouraged by that. God's definitely not put off by us making mistakes. In fact, that's how most of us learn. That's right. (laughs) But get moving, serve somebody, you know, start where you're at and then just watch what God will do.
0: And, and where you're at um, there's a there's an expression that's been used to bloom where you're planted yeah' is another way to put it and you know it, it's better to take a step of faith and to do something to start where you're at to look for a way to bloom where you're planted than it is just to stay put and stay paralyzed by yeah. fear or insecurity or just you know not knowing it's okay you don't you don't have to know it you don't have to have all the answers you know, when it comes to ministry, like there's so many people out there that just need to know that they're loved. They need to know that they walked through the door and somebody saw them, noticed them. That's right. Um, that if they don't show up the following Bible study or the following church service, yeah, they, somebody missed them. And and that text message, that phone call comes and says, "Hey, is everything okay? Are you doing all right? I was, I was thinking about you." And uh, you know, just start where you're at. Just like Jason was saying, just start where. You're at. I'm here at Good Life Radio with Jason Chatham, pastor of Courageous Church. Go to courageouschurch.com. Find out about where they're meeting in Sandy on Sundays at 5 currently. Um, so, courageouschurch.com. And of course, his music's at Jason Chatham on all of the places for cool music like iTunes, etc. So, we're in the home stretch of our conversation here. Jason, you've been talking about your journey following Christ, discovering ministry, discovering your, your sense of purpose and your sense of calling, which has led you and your wife, Candace, and your children here to Utah to start a brand new church called Courageous Church, which in and of itself, it's a courageous thing to do to move to Utah <laughs> and ch- start a church. I want to ask you this question. Why Utah? You came from California. You spent some time in Texas, right? That's right. You got to travel the world with a band. So you've, you've kind of seen a lot of things and a lot of different places. Why Utah? Why move to Utah with your family and start a church?
1: Well, you know, Candace and I've always loved the Mountain West. Candace grew up here in Utah. So this has always been like home for her. I'm a California kid. I grew up with sand between my toes, you know, mm. surfing and skating, salt water in your veins. Uh, still miss it. Yeah. But after we left California, we spent some time up in Wyoming for a season. I was on staff at a church there in Jackson Hole and just really fell in love with mountain culture and with the people that live in these communities. And it was there that God began to sort of stir in me what I call like having a heart for hard places because doing ministry in Utah is so different than doing ministry anywhere else that I've been in the U.S. and the world. I would agree. And it's just unique, you know. And so in that, God began to kind of place in me a desire to reach people in hard places. And so when we left Wyoming, we spent a little time in Texas, but really the desire to remain within that mountain western kind of context and community, reaching people and village communities and mountain communities and cities that are somewhat isolated from the rest of the world, uh, God just wouldn't allow us to move beyond the idea of Salt Lake City. And so he just kind of kept that place in the, the forefront of my mind and in kind of my view for a few years, really, for almost seven years. Wow. So we would come and visit Salt Lake, you know, when we lived in Wyoming, uh, we'd spend time up in Park City. And I think it was there that God began to just plant seeds into right. my heart toward the idea of us coming back here and returning here. So along the way, obviously, you know, talking with leaders and mentors and people in our life that could see that, could speak into that, encourage that. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, you know, the name of our church being Courageous Church and it being a courageous thing to do, either a courageous thing or a foolish thing. I don't know. The verdict's still out, but no, we felt like it was something that we needed to do, you know, and there's those moments in life where you feel like you have to do something, and you don't want to live with the regret of not stepping out in faith and that's not right. doing what God's asked you to do. I feel like that's worse, yeah, than you maybe trying something and failing at it. Yeah. So for us, the idea of coming here was something that we kind of held on to for a few years, and then about two years into our time spent in Texas, that's when we really started to sense—I would call it more of like a, a, a nudge—that it's time to kind of start taking some steps toward making that a reality. Hmm. So we started flying out here. We spent time out here. I'd rent hotel rooms. I did that for like a year and a half. Wow. And I'd visit other churches and I'd pray with other people and just wanted to get kind of a spiritual read of the land and where people are at. And obviously, you know, when you're called to do something, God gives you a grace for it too. Yeah, he does. So I've really fallen in love with Utah and with the people that live here. And that's important because that's the number one thing that we're called to be about. You know, it's Christ's love and it's encouraging people in that.
0: That's right.
1: You know, so we've been talking about ministry and I I always want people to understand too, ministry isn't just for like pastors and church planners and the professionals, right? It's for anyone. The word minister means just to serve. And so really we came as servants, like how can we serve? How can we help businesses flourish? How can we help people thrive with that kind of mindset? And then, yeah, let's, let's build a faith community of diverse people from different backgrounds, different ways of life and help them figure out how to do that. Mm. And that's really what Courageous Church has kind of been about.
0: That's great. What what are some of the the celebrations of the last few years that just kind of stand out to you? Just celebrating those God moments since moving to Utah and 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 getting Courageous Church off the ground?
1: Yeah, it's for you know, for the last it's coming up on three years. You know, we started here, we came into Utah with with just ourselves, right? They call it parachuting in. We parachuted in just candace and i and our three kids now we have three dogs so there's there's six of us now or there's seven or eight whatever it is now i can't count but
0: that's right counting is not a prerequisite in ministry
1: (laughs) apparently not (laughs) but uh we came in and just began to build a team and that that kind of was one person at a time one family at a time yeah hearing people's stories. I really feel like people want to be heard in this day and age. I agree. I think that's a big reason why social media is so big Yeah, because people want to tell their story. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be known. So we began to spend a lot of time doing that kind of at a grassroots level, just setting up appointments with people, connecting with people in coffee shops, getting on meetup apps and other, um, you know, websites that allowed us to connect with lots of people and uh, began to just really build relationships with folks. And then through these last few years, we've seen people's lives change. We've seen marriages healed. You know, we've seen people's lives restored. We've seen physical healing. We've seen emotional healing. We've seen God reconcile families that were torn apart. We've seen people that weren't walking in purpose, begin to walk in their purpose. And that just is so encouraging, especially as a pastor and as a leader, but also as a church planner, because, you know, God can use anybody. Right. And that's amazing but it's awesome when he uses you.
0: Yeah, it is. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think in church culture, Christian culture, I think we have overcomplicated what it means to be in ministry. That's right. right? The word minister is the words to serve. That's right. And you can serve right where you are. You can serve someone in your home. You can serve someone in your place of work or at your school. God has placed you where you are. So that way, you can bring others to Him and you can reveal through your life the love of God, the grace of God, the truth of God, the kindness of God. You know, there's such a lack of respect for people in this world. Yeah. And, and imagine that the impact that we could make for the kingdom of God if we just showed respect to people, you know, not because they necessarily have earned it from us, yeah. but because they're made in the image of God. Because they're, they're a human being with, with value and worth that's given by God. And you can disagree with somebody politically. You can disagree with a, a lifestyle. You can be on completely opposite ends of, of the spectrum of, of all of those things. But you can, you can be kind and you can show respect. Um, growing up in a military home and then spending some time in the South... You know, I've I've called a lot of people Mr. and Mrs. and Sir and Ma'am and I still do that. I, yeah. I just you know, I'll say I'll say to the folks that I work with and, and they'll be you know, I'm I'm now in my forties. It's kinda weird. Are you in your forties yet? I'm hanging on. You're hanging on. You're almost there though, right? I'm getting I'm close. A stretch. <laughs> but I'll be in my forties and I'll talk to somebody in, in their early twenties and I'll say, you know, thank you, sir. And they'd be like, Sir, don't call me sir, <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. like it's it has nothing to do with uh, it has everything, I should say it has everything to do with respect, right? We're just showing someone in the moment, I, I respect you, you have my attention. And that is such a great place to start with ministry. To that person right now that might just be struggling. you know, the name of your church, Jason, is courageous Church. and and there is they're, they're at a crossroads in their life right now. there is something going on ahead of them, and they just don't know what to do, and, and if they did know what to do, they don't feel like they have the courage to take that next step, whether it's in ministry, maybe, it, maybe it's a, a relationship that's broken, maybe it's a big move, and, and they, they've got a parachute into somewhere. Yeah. How would you encourage them, just in these last couple of minutes, um, to be courageous in, in their life?
1: Well, Pastor once said that faith is spelled R I S K. What? <laughs> risk. That's great. And um, I really believe that there's times and moments where you, you got to be willing to risk something. You know, you got to be willing to take that step of faith when you're afraid, when you're uncertain, when you're not sure what to do next. And I believe that's a big part of what it means to trust God. And I think faith is really just trusting God. It's being willing to trust God and to risk things for him. The cool part is when we do that, not only does God respond to our faith, but I believe he's really pleased by it. I think that's, that's an element that he calls all Christians and all believers to walk in. Right. It's not just for the super Christian, right. Or for the pastor or the guy who's gone to seminary or who knows his Bible and can quote all these scriptures. It's for the ordinary person like you and me that have just kind of stumbled into this deal and have bumped up against the reality of God in our life and, and are learning to walk this out, learning to walk by faith. And so my encouragement would be don't allow fear to be your story. Don't allow fear to be the narrative that controls your story. Mm. And maybe you're afraid, maybe you're at a place where you're discouraged or frustrated, or you don't know what to do next. Take a small step. Yeah. A lot of people think that faith is a, is a gigantic leap. And I don't believe it is. I don't believe it's a giant blind leap. I believe it's just taking small steps. Yeah. So maybe it's calling that person that you haven't called for a while, you know, that you need to sort of reconcile with. Maybe it's just shooting them a text. Hey, thinking about you today. That's right. You know, can I pray for you? You know, maybe if you're thinking about starting a business, maybe it's just reaching out to somebody that you know that owns their own business and saying, hey, how do you do do what you do? Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be complicated. I think sometimes we overcomplicate. Yeah, we do. So it's taking small steps, small steps of faith, small steps that are willing to risk you know, relationship to say, Hey, help me out with this. That's
0: great. That's great. Thanks, Jason. Hebrews 11, six says without faith, it's impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And then he rewards those who seek him. God, God is just waiting for us. And he's not even waiting for us. He has so much prepared for us. And, And the way for us to enjoy it and to encounter it is just to take that next courageous step. Jason, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, for encouraging us to take that step of faith. If you want to find out more about what Jason is doing, visit CourageousChurch.com, and you can also look up his music um, on iTunes and all those things. So thank you again, Jason, so much.
1: My pleasure. Thanks, Keith.
0: saying thanks again for listening to our podcast today for more information about a good life radio visit a goodliferadio.com and also visit riverutah.church for more information about our church